0: Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia.
1: On episode 39, I interview Kieran, the co-founder and co-CEO of Made Comfy, We discuss how as a university student in Germany he went from being a waiter to feeling he knew better than his boss and starting his own bar and restaurant. Why this experience was much harder than he expected but taught him a huge amount about business and people. His decade-long career in the mining industry across engineering and sales roles which took him all around the world until he fell in love with Australia. His constant interest in doing new challenges like an MBA, two startups, a non-profit and a half iron man, despite not knowing how to swim or ride a bike before he committed. We talk about how Made Comfy quickly did over five point five million in annual revenue and raised millions of dollars from top Australian venture capitalists, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. If you are a property investor wanting help managing short-stay rentals on your behalf or a traveler seeking a consistent, high-quality, and flexible short-stay experience, check out madecomfy.com.au. That's M-A-D-E-C-O-M-F-Y.com.au. So I'm here with Kieran, the co-CEO and co-founder of Made Comfy. Welcome to the podcast, Kieran.
0: Hey Eric! Thank you so much. I'm really, really um, pleased to to join you today.
1: That's good to hear. So, can you tell us what were you doing before you started Made Comfy? What did you study? What type of companies or roles were you working in?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good <laughs> good question because I I think I've I've done a lot a lot of different things before for starting Made Comfy. So, originally, I as you can hear with my accent, I'm 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 not from here I'm from uh, from Germany. So. I studied industrial engineering back then, simply because I couldn't make up my mind to study engineering or economics, um, and uh, yeah, to sort of kept my options free. And my very first job was um, waitering, um, which then ended me up ending um, opening a restaurant myself. Um, that was during my first studies, so that's sort of my first um, work experience. Um, where I thought I can do it simply uh, better than the owner of the place where I was waitering and totally naive as I was, um, sort of uh, caught uh, caught me on the sidetrack with my studies. Um, all the hours I went into that restaurant, and and I realized there's so much more than just opening and closing and serving people, um, but really like managing that. So it uh, was great for me to learn back then of uh, all the things you don't learn at school, like how to really uh, just um, uh, influence people, how to read people, uh, manage people, um, the sort of um, work that is involved to to start a business. But it sort of had a bit of a negative impact on my whole uni. And when I finished my uni, I sort of um, thought that I need to have a proper job because sort of the way I sort of grew up was like, you need to have a... A job, um, and the reason you study is to have a job. So, I closed um, that, um, that 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 restaurant, um, and I started uh, with a company that was sort of working in in the mining industry, um, purely because that was the only place I could uh, I could get a job uh, back then. Um, and yeah, sort of got me excited uh, to to um, challenge myself. I think that was sort of the the main reason and uh, yeah from, from there I, I worked um, uh, there as an engineer, got some exciting projects around the world, I worked in, in uh, South Africa, in the States, in Asia, uh, on on some remote islands on certain mine sites and then also in Australia in 2006 where sort of I fell in love with this continent and country and Really like thought this is where I, I really want to live one day, and um, as fate uh, means it, sometimes um, I had the opportunity then, two thousand eight, to either move to the states, South Africa, or to Australia. And uh, yeah, given um, that I really fell in love with this country, I decided to um, to to join that company, part of the company uh, down here in Australia. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how I ended mm-hmm. up in in australia
1: and what was it about australia like you said the uh engineering role afforded you the ability ability to travel all over the world was there something particular about australia that really caught your imagination
0: i don't know i mean like i've been in so many amazing places like like from a remote island with just a jungle and um and nothing to some amazing cities i i remember still the first time i touched down in sydney and we flew this amazing like path over the opera house and and i was like wow this is like incredible and for me growing up growing up in germany australia was always the other side of the world Mm. where you know like the typical cliches with with kangaroos and (laughs) um it was really little like people standing on the heads that kind of stuff so so it was really this mysterious thing and i don't know it, it's really the the size of the country. Maybe um, I remember when I was then in in Olympic Dam, which is sort of 700 kilometers north of Adelaide, where you drive for hours and you see nothing. Um, you see again emus, kangaroos. The night sky is incredible, and and I think all of that together, that package of of nature, of 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 um, lifestyle, and. Some magic um, had a a sort of uh, impact on me that I really fell in love with that country um, that I really never experienced anywhere else.
1: Yeah, and so when you were at university, you're studying engineering, like you said, that's something you're interested in. Um, You're working in a bar, which obviously restaurants, bars, many people do while they're studying. You know, it's just very you know standard, but not many people say I'm going to run a bar (laughs) while I'm at university. So, what was it? Was there a moment? Was the owner looking to exit the business? Was there a a, a reason why you were sort of um, prompted to to start your own bar?
0: I think one thing I've always had. I'm very ambitious, competitive. And it was simply a few things where we had a few different opinions on on just some basics. And I remember talking with my my dad about that. And and then yeah, the next day I was just um, sitting in the newspaper looking looking for leases to take over. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it was in me some some anger, some frustration, <laughs> something. Oh, I've got to prove myself or, or that. That, um uh, that business owner that I can do that better um it's it's a good question I actually don't know what it was for me it was it was something that I just really wanted to do and maybe luckily or not luckily I didn't really think everything through it mm. was really something I'll do that and uh, and then yeah you just um, roll with it um, the first, Hurdle came with realizing, oh, I've got to invest like 30,000 euros into that, which I didn't have. Mm. Um, and um, but then we were able to convince the brewery uh, that sort of owned that place to pay for it. Um, yeah, because they sort of believed in 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 the concept uh, that um, that sort of um, um, I proposed there. But, but yeah, it, I think a lot of that. Sometimes you do things that that you that you don't really think through, especially when you're really young.
1: Hmm.
0: And, and, um, and uh, yeah, a lot of times you uh, get a lot of te- uh, headwind them for people telling you you can't do that or this it's silly and uh, too risky and things like that. But um, I think when you're n- naive enough, you do that earlier. Um, and I think I just was very naive um, uh, on, on that moment.
1: And then once you took that leap, like you said, maybe some people were saying, don't do it, don't do it, but you were young and headstrong and you pushed through, you are able to sort of get creative, get it off the ground. But then you said the reality was very different than sort of the expectations. Like it's easy when you're on someone else's payroll to have a lot of ideas on how to do things versus when you're the one paying the bills. What What was the biggest difference between maybe what you expected or hoped versus, the, again, the day-to-day reality of actually being responsible for, for running your own bar?
0: Yeah. You open and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Like that moment, still, you open and you think that people will come in, and then, like, it's all or like your friends yeah, or your like,
1: family or your classmates. You know, everyone's gonna come in. The
0: <laughs> movie, in the movie, you have this cricket sound, and yeah, <laughs> pretty much that was it. Like, the first few few weeks, months, it was like, like really, uh, really tough because what that place was before was. Was uh, not really. It was empty for years. Number one, so no one was really used to go there, and it was a place where a lot of, um, yeah, um, maybe not uh, not the typically clientele goes. So you have people that were either um, like like unemployed or not those that had money, those that were uh, gambling. um, we had a few people coming in that was of wanted to no, pay you next month that kind of stuff, so <laughs> it was it was very difficult and of course, because of that, because of previously people being there that are not really um, maybe very social, um, other people and families wouldn 't come in so the big challenge we really had was like how do you how do you break that and how do you get rid of 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 that kind of previous clientele and and get in people that actually have money that are also um, in the majority when you look into your customer base and uh, that, that, that was uh, the very first um, um, realizing that this is really difficult and by far more difficult than, than, um, than, than you think. Cause when you get employed somewhere, the business is running and and you think it's always been like that mm. uh, um, and it's just going to happen. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was, uh, that was a very, very interesting moment
1: and so did you grind it out for a couple of years while you were sort of studying and did you sort of exit it hand it over to someone else were you able to overcome some of those location marketing um, demographic type issues
0: yeah 100% uh, what, what, what happened was um, we uh, like got rid of all the pokey machines number one mm-hmm. um, we we said no to anyone who wanted to not pay now and said look you can't come here anymore and that kind of stuff so I was like we changed all of that and um, make sure we sort of have menus that's really more attractive to, to, to families. And the big thing we then identified or the opportunity we had is my, my um, it came out of nowhere, um, the um, previous best friend of my mom, her husband is an actor, a very famous actor in Germany. And, and he started with cabaret and was about to have his first session in Munich. Um, and uh, yeah, he said, "Look, how about I do a pre-premiere in uh, in, uh, in 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 your place?" And uh, yeah, we we said, "Amazing!" Um, and then uh, just uh, called the newspaper. Said, "Hey, by the way, you might be interested. in this um, this guy is coming over." Is um, everyone of course knows him? And they said, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And yeah, and we had a packed house. It was amazing. We were in the newspaper, and that changed everything from there. So, because it broke this kind of thing of people thinking this is this is still this kind of old restaurant, um, um, they um, yeah they they overcame that and felt that it is different and um, yeah from there on, we we a because that person loved it as well. We had him coming back. We had mm-hmm. other his manager then brought other artists to our place. We had a monthly cabaret, and um, yeah, we found our needs a little bit in. In, in how we are different and special enough for people to talk about it and so that was maybe my very earliest and first learning of the power of PR marketing um, um, referrals um, and um, and targeting a niche and not everyone um, in that moment and yeah. we, we sort of grew from there mm-hmm. it, became, uh, it became really really good and big and um, at the end, uh, it, it was it was uh, my parents were were getting uh, super heavy involved as well. Um, at a point when I also work wise, study wise, couldn't couldn't really do everything. And um, yeah, it, it was really then the point when when I need to make this really decision: um, do you open more of that or do you get a job? And I really like never even thought about that. It was like okay, I have to end this now because I have a job. I can't do it anymore. And, um yeah it was not um yeah it was it was in a in a small town uh, and we had about 60 seats so it was it was great but it was not like where you say you sell it and and you you can live off that for the next <laughs> five years so um uh, you pretty much hand it over in a, in a in a good way and you really the the asset you get is the learnings from that
1: Hmm. And then, so you've got this engineering job, which like you said, was sort of what you were probably expecting when you're at university to get into a big uh, mining company and work as an engineer and get the opportunity to travel. And you mentioned you're sort of um, sent to Australia, but, and then did you decide to move to Australia then with that company or did you sort of change roles or what was the transition from that sort of deciding Australia for you to, to where you went
0: next? I mean, like one, one handicap I have is I'm really, really poor in interviewing. I, Never. So the the first waitering job I got because my friend was working there too, and she recommended me. My job in the in the mining company I really got because um, my my uncle was working there, and he got me in. <laughs> I'm I'm really really not good in interviewing, so I stayed with this company for like eleven years because yeah, I just uh, I just um, I, I I could develop myself, but I also again like I'm just really poor interviewer so with that company i i had this opportunity so they they offered it to me um, and uh, with that i sort of moved from engineering into more business development sales and um, it was more like they needed an engineer over here and um, i did that for a few months but then there was this opportunity um, to do sales in wa and um yeah no one wanted to do it it was back then it was 2009 um for that company it was the worst performing state and they sort of said, okay you uh, the thinking was like a german engineer in sales in australia in wa is not going to work <laughs> um but no one else wanted to do it and i really wanted to do it i wanted to somehow i realized in engineering i'm i'm not the best um from my sort of uh, personality traits maybe and um, i realized yeah, it's going to be quite, quite tricky. But I, I thought I'm, I, I can do the selling bit. And yeah, so they they gave it to me simply because it was nothing to lose. And um, yeah, that's how I then moved from engineering into, into sales uh, in, in 2009.
1: And you mentioned like you weren't very good at interviewing. So a lot of people associate sort of sales, salesmanship, being maybe extroverted, talkative, confident. People with yeah. those skill sets often do well at interviews or maybe people who are more engineering focused, less in that sort of stereotypical sort of personality don't do well in sales. So, so I mean, was yeah. the interviewing uh, issues sort of separate from your overall confidence or when there was a subject matter, that's not yourself, <laughs> you, you sort of, you did better or, or was it again, you weren't that sure about sales, but you just really wanted to get to birth and, and jump on the opportunity.
0: I think one issue I always have is that I, I, I sort of, I always think big. I always think big and I think like, Hey, we can do all of these things. And, when you want to interview someone in a in a sales role for something, you don't want someone, I think now that sort of comes with all these ideas and and sort of um, yeah, where you say, maybe that it's just not a, not the a right fit." I I think in general, I'm 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 quite head strong. I've got my ideas, I've got my thoughts, and I'm not specifically well in one category so you can't i can't say oh i'm not like like some, some you're an accountant you are for me like an engineer you're that i never really fit in one of those things and even with the whole sales bit for example i when i started all of that and uh, also interviewed for a few other roles i i never had a sales background right so i definitely can but when you then try to find a job in wa and you have no wa experience and you are non-native speaker you have no like um, network and all this, mm. of these things, uh, you, you are not the right fit. And most of the time, when I interviewed, was when I wanted to change. Yeah, um, and that is not well either, because when you often get interviewed, unless you are also lucky, you you have this with recruiters that look for your, you know, three, four, five years of of experience, something they can sell to their. To their uh, to their clients um, in companies is often the less risky way is hiring someone that has proven themselves in similar roles in that place and i think that i never had that because when i had these three four years experience in the space i wanted to change because i needed i needed to i needed more challenge and it sort of got, got boring to me and i think that's all connected why um why? Yeah, I I never I never passed an interview. Um, mm. yeah. and, and I think so. you're, you're right. A lot of people can relate to that. It's sort of
1: recruiters, like you said, want somebody from WA or in WA with experience selling to that type of industry, that type of product. So whenever you're not from there, you're sort of up against a, a big uh, a big obstacle. So so you were you able to then get that that sort of uh, lateral transfer and, and get the sales role in WA, and then what happened? So there? So,
0: so internally, yeah, because they knew me and they. Mm-hmm. And they so in within the company I, I, I got that. I got a lot of the things that I wanted to, to do because I, I knew the company. I was a German company. Me being German wasn't too bad. And um and I knew I knew a lot within the company. So a lot of people. So I, I had my my network and the connections that you sort of needed. And that and that's maybe the only reason why I ever got that that bit. But from there I I I think always um, focus on becoming the best in in in, 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 in the space and um and I think um yeah it's once you get the chance you need to prove prove yourself and and going then back to me sort of being very competitive and, and things like that. The the whole plan that I then had was to turn WA from like the weakest state to the the strongest state in regards to sales. And that was sort of my my personal target that I set that I set myself. And um, yeah, and that sort of um, kept me uh, kept me uh, in there, and um, yeah, sort of sort of um, also um, didn't require anyone to to uh, to move me around.
1: And then what happened next? Like you said, you are there for a long time. Do you eventually sort of get tired of engineering and wanted to go back yeah. to running a business? <laughs> Was it just um, a different opportunity came across your, your desk?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I I got really. Within a year, W.A. was doing twice the revenue as all the other states combined. Um, that that um, triggered with me again, like, OK, what do you do next? Um, the the main thing um, that sort of um, I learned there was, I remember the, the very first uh, trips I did to Karatha Port Headland, um, trying to sell to to locals was was almost impossible. It was always I always got the no, 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 nah, no. Nah, I've got a mate that that uh, that I'm buying off, and and um, had to find uh, to solve that. So I went to then um, the engineers within the company within the mining companies, and uh, and simply got our products specified, and then the people had to buy of me. Um, that was um, that I did this for a year, um, and then I got to a point where I was really. Exa- like realized that works, but I, I couldn't, I like, yeah, I always need this kind of what do you do next? How do you get bigger? And I then sort of decided to do an MBA um, mainly to overcome my, my biggest handicap in Australia, not having a network. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that sort of was in 2010 um, when I did that from there um, I got promoted then into a national sales role. And from there, um, to, to then um, run the company um, in, on the East Coast, um, and plus uh, mm-hmm. a few islands like New Caledonia, Papua New Guinea. And uh, yeah, I did then that uh, for, for a while uh, um, doing um, the ups and downs of the mining industry. And uh, yeah, the last thing I really did was, was a large contract within uh, BHP, um, port headland sort of the acquisition of a 250 million dollar contract and then the implementation and after that that was in 2013 i sort of um like fell into this kind of hole where where i sort of um grandma was um, at a nice apartment in cromont point uh, on my hammock and i sort of was in the and i was like what why are you doing all of these things? And uh, what are you doing next? And there was really no challenge from there. And that's when everything sort of changed again dramatically uh, because I sort of um, realized that I can't continue in that industry, in that space. I, I didn't really feel inspired and I really didn't feel motivated anymore to do something bigger than what I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and from there... Um, I had a year of change um, pretty much.
1: And what happened in that year? So you realize, like you said, you're lying in your hammock. You're wondering, like, I've achieved all these things. I've been in the company. I've gone all over the world. I've exceeded all these targets. But there's sort of, um, I guess, a bit of apathy or you feel like there's a ceiling maybe. You can't go anymore or you want to do something bigger. And then you went to that big 2013 years. What was the change? Did you quit the job? Did you start something new? What did you do first?
0: Nope. That this, I don't know if, if if others had this too. When you when you when you when you get to a point where you know this is going to likely be now this thing you do for the next five or ten years, and and it might not change what you do, and it, for me that is, is horror. Like to know what I do in 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 a year in two, in three, and two and three and me doing the same thing is is freaking me out, and 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 that was when. Um, yeah, they're like you sort of look at what 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 uh, what what can you do? Again, I'm really not good at interviewing. I, I knew <laughs> that at that point, so I didn't even uh, even even bother doing that. And it was really through some amazing people I met during my MBA at the AGSM that had their own businesses or started their own businesses that I really thought again back to when I started that restaurant. That that is. Something I wanted to do since my really early days, and I just went with that flow and race that I have to you now you have to have a job, you have to keep on going, you can't have a career break, and all of these things. But I said, Oh, like, um, um, let's just forget all of that, and uh, yeah, and um, I met another like a German back then, uh, Sven, and um, with him, we sort of uh, both had the same same thoughts, and we sort of looked into pretty much what can we do Mm -hmm. first one was to to do um, a charity where we where we helped um, uh, like disadvantaged children and uh, we did that in Peru um, where we where we rebuilt um, a whole playground sports ground in a slum where the kids wouldn't have anything Mm -hmm. and that was our first project to raise twenty thousand dollars to to, which was super difficult because uh, no one wants to give you money for good 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 reasons. It's so mm-hmm. tough. Um, and um, we sort of made it then a game where I'm not there now, um, if you can't see me, but I'm, I'm more of a heavier person. And, and um, uh, Sven was a triathlete. So we said, okay, if we raise $20,000, I committed to a half Ironman, which was super funny for a lot of people. And um, especially my old mining friends, a lot of them put, put money into that. And... Uh, we had within six weeks, we raised $22,000 um, and I had to commit to an Ironman, half Ironman. Um, so that was um, that year of change.
1: And how did that go? Yeah. Were you able to, to do the half Ironman? Because obviously a very was, uh, very a difficult physical accomplishment, right? The,
0: the, uh, exactly. The... What I liked with that was like, it was pretty much some, uh, my ex-boss uh, pretty much framed it well, and that's physically impossible. <laughs> and and, um, and I said, "Okay, well, I'll give it a go." And yeah, it was good for me that moment because it, it helped me to to really have my my head on on a certain challenge that that um, that that seemed impossible. And yeah, like um, with Sven together, I did a did a whole plan. I had seven months of preparation. Mm-hmm. I knew I needed to lose twenty five kilos i needed to learn how to swim freestyle mm-hmm. and i've never been on a road bike before so i had to bike a road bike and then it's very basic you you do your training you practice and yeah that's around 20 to 30 hours a week that you spent uh, swimming running and cycling and you i remember like after 2 weeks i had my first moment when i thought i can't do that you get your blisters, your mm-hmm. bum hurts like hell. You swallow so much water learning a new swimming technique, <laughs> and I thought like I no way. And um, yeah, but but that kind of fear of failure and proving uh, to those that said it's not possible sort of kept me going there. And in uh, November, the 30th of November 2014, I then completed the half Ironman in uh, in seven hours. So it definitely wasn't the fastest, but I completed it and. Mm-hmm yeah um the last kilometer was yeah, one of the most emotional uh minutes in my life when you realize you will not fail now because you can crawl the last mm. few meters and yeah to go through all of that and um yeah it's something that you can't really describe when you when you when you when you do that and and it, it's all around achieving something that that you set yourself as a goal and you you know it's maybe not possible but you actually then Get to that, and that sort of really um, captured that whole year for me to to say, hey, um, you no, know, there are some other things you can actually achieve, and and the main learning from there was is that that whatever you want to do, there is somehow a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, yes, I didn't win that race, but that was not <laughs> my target, but I finished it, and mm-hmm. and I think sometimes now there's the saying, aim for the stars and land on the moon, and I think there is so much in that that. If you don't give it a go and you don't try, you, you definitely won't get there. And that's a really, for me in my mindset, it was a big, a big step to really think very big, to think about what would you do if they're, if they're, if you could choose. And, and yeah, after that we, we started my first sort of official startup um, in the time in attendance called Hikey, and uh, so that was previous uh, my current company. And uh, yeah, we we started that, and um, yeah, that was sort of then the next step in my in my life. And
1: how did you go? Was that sort of a moderate success? Was it not quite what you yeah. expected? Was it just not what you're interested in? How did you go from there to starting Mate Company? Uh,
0: uh, my three learnings from that is is number one, it's you need to do something where you're really passionate about. Mm. I was no longer passionate for the mining industry, and that was something that was very difficult for me to keep really motivated and super excited. And, and it's impossible to do something like, like running your company when you're not passionate about, about that sector. The second one is choose really wisely if you get uh, capital involved, whom you get involved. Because it's a marriage and once the money is out, you still have those uh, people involved and mm. uh so all of that. So we did we did not do too well there and and it just really created some dynamics in the company that very diff- that were very difficult. Um, um and then um the last one is product market fit. <laughs> Don't assume because you know the market that you can build a product that fits. Mm. Um and it's of course when you when you like do your do your uh, um, uh, readings around around that. It's, it's it's Everyone tells you that, but we were so sure we knew the market, build a product that at the end no one used. It was very difficult to convince. And hmm. and um, yeah, it was sort of, it definitely worked and it was, but it was too difficult to convince people in mining where the whole decision process is very slow. Um, it was not the right like product market fit. It was not the right um, marketing strategy, sales approach. There was a lot of, Things just wrong. And overall, um, that uh, didn't lead to be a success. It's still running at the moment, but uh, I I left the business uh, actively uh, in 2015 when um, I discovered together with my um, co-founder now the opportunity of Made Comfy.
1: And so can you tell us in a few sentences how does Made Comfy work and how did you sort of, again, um, enter into that opportunity and and why were you passionate sort of about that space versus what you're doing uh, with the the mining
0: sector? So Made Comfy, in a nutshell, is a short-term rental brand. That means we manage properties on the short-term rental market, Mm -hmm. which is like any kind of of property in a certain quality and location. That um, sort of uh, where we allow people to stay between two nights and and, and six months. So it goes in the whole space of flexible renting, short-term renting. Uh, Airbnb is is a whole like marketplace in that uh, area that sort of uh, made this uh, really famous. So that's what McCombie is um, today. We operate in in most of the key markets in Australia. We are um, um, in total a team of um, of over over eighty. Um, we we've been growing rapidly uh, since since we since we started and um, yeah but the whole start was 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 in 2015 when uh, I had this other startup and I needed to reduce my costs that I put my place in Cremorne on the Airbnb and I thought it's going to be a self runner which it wasn't <laughs> and uh, um, booking wise yes but not operationally and uh, mm-hmm. Sabrina. Um, my uh, co-founder and now also wife, um, she helped me to style it nicer, to turn my man cave into into <laughs> something uh, more, more, yeah, better. And yeah, um, but it was not really like sustainable. She had a um, quite senior job in finance at Col- uh, Kellogg's um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was not, um, but she also was at this point where she said, I'm not really challenged at Kellogg's. And again, like I either um, continue now this finance path and um, aim to be a CFO at some point, but it's really not really motivating me. And uh, um, yeah, and that's sort of when I saw the problem that I had, we saw then that we couldn't find someone to manage it. And when we did more research, we really saw that whole ecosystem that is about to just uh, uh, go and grow in Australia, that was already more advanced in Europe and in in the U.S. And we thought like like Jesus, no one is really doing that here. And, and uh, yeah, and uh, again, naivety was a big thing. Uh, let's just do it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then so a couple of years, you know, obviously, you've really hit your stride, growing 103% last financial year and doing over $5.5 million in revenue, becoming one of the Finner Review's fastest-starting uh, new businesses in Australia. So how did you go from, like you said, just sort of stumbling your way through to that sort of rapid growth and what were some of the, the highlights and struggles of that growth and success?
0: So I think you go through these phases of um, of a business, you... You find a problem that that you can solve. You realize quite a few people have that problem. You then get your first customers and you help them solve the problem. They pay you, and so you you validate your whole concept, right? So that was super exciting. It is like you think like, wow, nuts! This is like going like Mm -hmm. a J curve, (laughs) Um, and we we knew that we had to um, raise capital. I already invested quite a bit in my of previous ventures, and and we knew we, we needed like yeah a few hundred thousand dollars to to uh, invest in certain infrastructure, and uh, and um, yeah we then sort of realized this just because you think it's going to be great, getting uh, getting of course investors is not is not that straightforward, and um, we had like you know, thirty 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 five pitches always hearing the same story. Uh, Anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. For us, it was always low barrier of entry. Anyone Mm. can just manage an Airbnb. And it was until we met two um, of our uh, first supporters, uh, Cliff Rosenberg, the ex-MD of LinkedIn. And uh, he's also one of the first um, uh, directors at Afterpay, an amazing, just amazing uh, mentor and person, and Hein Fogel, um, uh, who uh, yeah, incredible background in investment banking, uh, startups. Uh, used to work at Investec. Was involved in the amazing uh, listing. Um, yeah, they 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 liked what we do. They they met us and and we clicked from a person point of view as well. Mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, that was that first milestone. We realized raising capital is very hard and. The first time where we didn't really ask for money um, was when we sort of met them. It was all about talking about the business, and and yeah, and that's that's sort of when we um, mastered that first milestone to not just prove prove your traction, but to get your first funding. And and uh, and then of course things things change when you when you get. External total funding
1: and what was the biggest change of getting that injection of capital that validation from the investors what were you able to then do once you had that funding secured
0: so when you when you when you get funding it's the first time you 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 get other people's money in that uh that um like when you get money from a customer you do a service you keep the money right and, mm. and that's it right um, when you get investor money, um, the the point is you you repay that money at some point, so you have, of course, suddenly um, like this kind of um, requirement to follow your projections, to learn to forecast um, uh, more accurately, and to achieve uh, growth targets, and um, yeah, and that sort of changes you because you in a positive way that you. Um, uh, don't just focus on your growth, but you, you know, you focus on your, on your cash burn, uh, you focus on, on your first hires, you, you really, you really start running a business uh, at that point. Um, and with what comes with capital investment is that requirement that you constantly have to grow. And that is, is, um, is, uh, the whole art to get that right. To pitch in a way that you keep it as low as possible um, to achieve your targets, to then continue to raise uh, capital if you have the opportunity if you have the market and uh, if you require it but yeah that that was a was a great experience and of course um, we then had uh, Cliff and Hein as mentors and uh, as, a, as official advisors um, and um, yeah grew. Back then, we, we grew 200% uh, year on year. So it was uh, still very early. And um, yeah. Um, and
1: how did that growth come about? Was it expanding the geographical footprint? Was it new marketing channels? Was it um, better infrastructure to provide a better service? Or, or how did that sort of funds and that mentorship translate into that 200% growth?
0: Um, so, first one tech infrastructure. So, we, we hired um, our, our CTO, Tom. Uh, he joined us. So having really the ability to build infrastructure is, is, is crucial in that space. And marketing-wise as well, we, we hired our CMO, Nina. Uh, so Tom, for example, he ran before um, Expert360. Um, he was a founding uh, uh, CTO there. So he built a tech startup uh, from the grounds before. Nina uh, in marketing, she worked at Delivery Hero, uh, in the Berlin headquarters as a marketing director, she worked at hotels combined she she knew how to do marketing really, really well by far more than we did so they were our first two two hires and with that came growth so we were more scalable we really um i think we we really did well and do well with inbound marketing so since day one we we have only done inbound marketing so we don't reach out to property owners they they approach us, and we then um, convert uh, them, and that really led to uh, that growth. Combined, of course, with the fact that uh, we solved a problem—Airbnb um, management, short-term rental management—in uh, Australia is a huge, as uh, a huge demand and a huge, a huge requirement. So that is, of course, um, um, an important part. Oh, yeah, that that got us to to grow. We then had our Series B uh, A uh, with Investec there, where we raised six million dollars. That went again infrastructure. Uh, we opened up uh, in Melbourne, Brisbane, and now also Canberra, and really started to increase our 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 team, having more structures, establishing a leadership team, um, which is now running pretty much the the departments, rather than Sabrina and myself. And with that, you go through that whole time where you you are a team and you know any, most of the conversation of the day. It's a very different thing than when you have a team of teams where you are not listening to other conversations all the time and where you have suddenly different personalities and things like that. And that's sort of where we learned really the importance of, of having a strong culture and and um and values and we were lucky that uh, some of our early early uh, investors uh, rolf hansen and peter o'connell the two amazing founders that they really really helped us to embed our values um, in our culture very early so um, that part was very difficult but because of that uh, i think we managed it quite well that when we look at today at our culture, uh, this, I'd say it's one of our core strengths at MedComfy.
1: And, and how would you sum up that culture that you've uh, purposefully created if you had to? I mean, do you have specific words, statements? Is there a, a, a mindset that, that sort of directs it? Or how have you sort of cultivated and maintained that really important yeah. cultural aspect?
0: I mean, like often you, you can't describe culture in a in a few words, you sort of feel the energy and and especially in difficult times. But I can tell you what we sort of have. So our our vision is to be Australia's most loved short-term rental brand, and um, that is all about we want to be loved and not just be the largest, biggest, and whatever. So that's one part. I think that that whole love connection um, uh, importance um, uh, is, is is a is a is a, is a big part of our of our culture our mission is uh, to transform properties into extraordinary experiences so again it's it's around um a progression making things great and and getting excited about that and then we have our four values which is uh, agility empowerment trust and wow and they really build that fundament of 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 traits that we really see in 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 people so agility means like this like i think most startups have that it's about you have to be willing with change you have to be okay with um with um, not knowing where we will be in two years time Uh, empowerment is so important in our culture that means everyone here owns their area their space there is no micromanagement it's it uh, comes with um, being okay with failure, learning from failure, not making failures mistakes all the time again, but being open about them to communicate, to talk, and uh, and and yeah, strive for for growth. Then trust is, of course, we we manage people's um, biggest assets, properties. It's all about about being transparent, um, not lying, and um, being honest and um, and straight out. And then wow. Is sort of, um, um, we're big fans of Disney, Suppose, um, Appliances Online. I think here in Australia mm-hmm. is one a company that really lives by that wow that you have when you deal with them. And that is simply interactions we have with each other, with customers, with partners. It has to be in a way that um, we aim for that wow. And um, there can be li- little things, there can be bigger things, that can be just listening. And taking the time, being present, being focused, and uh, and caring. Yeah, and that's uh, um, the values. And the last one is diversity. We are, we have uh, currently around twenty five different nationalities. Uh, we are fifty six percent women, forty four percent men. Um, that's that's uh, a big part of 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 the culture. But that's not on purpose. That is simply because. Because of uh, the fact we we hire around our values and on on then like skill set and um, nothing else.
1: Yeah, and so obviously the property market is a big talking point in Australia. Yeah, you know, the banks are very focused on property. A lot of people, like you said, have investment properties. Um, it's always in the news. So, are there interesting trends you see in you know, the rental market, the property market being so involved um, that maybe aren't obvious to sort of other people?
0: So, I think what what. What well, what currently happens is is that in, in 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 a lot of sort of crisis moments that certain developments are fast tracked and accelerated and and one bit that 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 I see in this is in this market is that that property is um, and and will be more flexible in 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 terms of how it's used and that is simply when you look at it at the moment you have the whole question about how are the cities of, um, of tomorrow going to look like, we don't know that yet. Right? Mm-hmm. So it can be that offices are coming back, that people want to move back there, but it might not be like that. So so the flexibility of use is going to be a driving factor over the next few uh, few years. And that is anything <laughs> from um, now flexibility between um, um, long-term, mid-term, short-term, like that whole description, I think, uh, it is very old-fashioned. Like 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 today, when um, um, when you don't know where you work uh, next year and everything, and let's say you you're not um, grown up in the suburb, you might want to live somewhere for a month or for three because your current center of life is in a uh, picking a suburb is in, in Crow's Nest, and um, and then uh, next year the first four months you. You have a project in in um, Fortescue Valley in, uh, in in Brisbane, and um, and uh, and you want to live there. So so that is is one thing, t- like making it more flexible for people to to uh, to rent uh, property. The other one is also office space. Um, there will be there will be uh, some some big movements around flexibility. Um, do you need a, an office for people, or again? Uh, will we have broken down mini offices where where we see uh, simply a group of five project teams working in a property that's maybe not even designed to be an office but it's sort of used to be residential um so that's that's something with that comes of course legislation uh and all of that um, how how are the cities supporting that and of course it has to be all in line with with the future plans of of those cities but I, I I will see a lot. I expect to see a lot of a lot of changes in in the flexibility of of how property is uh, is used. Um, yeah,
1: and if I imagine as well, at the moment more people are working remotely, or they have the option in a sense as well. They're depending on which state and the restrictions, but they're more able to move. Like you said, maybe they don't get a job in Brisbane, but maybe they just choose to, to move to Brisbane, right? And like you said, maybe they don't, they don't want to be in a a year or multi year lease, and maybe companies don't want to be sort of locked into so sort of more. I guess, movement, freedom of movement in, uh, in both sides, residential and commercial leasing?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, it, it is sort of, when you don't know, like, when you think about, like, like two years ago, I think everyone thought they knew the next three, four, five years. Yeah, hmm. Currently, not many would sign you anything what's happening in, in two years. And, and with that, flexibility simply becomes of more importance of, of us, what we value, and that will then drive, again, market. Um, um, uh, the, the, the market, the same comes with um uh, buying, buying, selling properties. That's going to be very interesting how, how that is impacting uh, certain suburbs that are suddenly seeing an influx of interest from, uh, from people that are coming from the cities. And on the other hand, in the cities where, where you've got the opposite, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. On top of that uh, comes the whole build to rent. Um, mm-hmm. Um, um, market that is just in the starting uh, shoes, and it's going to be very interesting as well how how that is um, influencing that. But uh, yeah, that's maybe to summarize some um, something interesting that we can. I think looking positively forward, not uh, change sometimes is seen negative, but <laughs> but in change is opportunity, and mm. in change is uh, is progression, and um, I think that's important. We look at that like that.
1: Yeah, and so you've you know, lived and worked in all different parts of the world, obviously growing up in Germany, running your first business in Germany, um, dealing, like I said, with entrepreneurs and mentors and investors. What what trends do you see in sort of entrepreneurship in Australia at the moment? What are a lot of Australian entrepreneurs doing really well and then what are areas or aspects how they're lagging behind some other key markets?
0: I think one change that I've seen myself over the last five years in Australia in entrepreneurship is is that it is more more common that this is an option for you um, at um, also a younger age so when i look at the unis how how they have entrepreneurship now in their courses and how they're encouraging their students to do projects i think there has been a uh, tremendous shift um, over the last uh, five years. Also, support in regards of supporting entrepreneurs, early businesses, accelerators, programs. There has been so much more support, and finally, also capital raising, capital that is has been made available to to startups is um, has improved uh, a lot over the last over the last five years. Where I still see a little bit of. Uh, I think where we, I think as as uh, as a whole, um, as a whole country, can maybe improve a bit is that that we often think about the entrepreneur, that person that leaves uni college or maybe not even finish it, has an idea, and um, that idea is the winning thing. And now you you buy a boat uh, <laughs> and a mansion with twenty five, and that's it. Um, We often forget about um, that now when you're in your 30s, 40s, you've got maybe, well, maybe it has proven you have a significantly higher chance to be successful as an entrepreneur because it is not about the idea, but it is so much about the execution. And at that time, you have a lot of uh, experience. You are a specialist in a certain field. You've been um, maybe involved in a couple of businesses that have not worked out or some that have done amazingly well And, and I think sometimes like, like when you are in that age, you think you have a lot to lose and you're not, maybe you don't feel you have the support enough to do that step. Um, Having a mortgage, having, having kids in schools and things like that. And I think this is coming up with, with, um, with ideas of how do you enable, like people, people in their thirties, forties. Uh, how do you take away a bit, maybe of that pressure um, and that fear of of the mortgage and, and school payments and, and other liabilities? Is is uh, is something? There are a lot of ways to do that when you read, read a lot of books. But I think, I think there could be there could be more uh, communication around that because that again will drive our economy. That will uh, create new jobs. Um, it will start more businesses that are simply more sophisticated early on because their their founders are a bit older, and um, yeah, that is a huge opportunity uh, within uh, Australia and and um, and this generation.
1: Yeah, and I think you hear about those, like you said, those kind of twenty year old uni dropouts. Um, because it's such a novelty and people find it so sort of interesting whereas you know the vast majority of successful businesses are started by people in their 30s and 40s like we said they got the capital they got the contacts they got the experience the life lessons but it's not as uh, sensational I suppose so it doesn't get the same uh, mind share in the media and in people because it's not as sort of uh, maybe surprising or shocking or dramatic to see a billionaire 20 year old is a you know successful running uh, a successful and prosperous and fast-growing business but they're 48 it's not as exciting as a 19 year old perhaps
0: exactly i I, I fully agree
1: and so, but speaking of that, that's sort an of 18 to 20-year-old, um, looking back at yourself, if you were talking to yourself when you're 18 or 20, you're studying engineering, you're working in a bar, you're a bit sort of, you know, questioning authority, thinking, you know, you've, you've got a few good ideas, maybe too many good ideas, um, not sure what direction, Yeah, you know, you've got family pressure, you've got your own ideas and dreams. What, what advice would you give to that sort of 18 to 20-year-old?
0: <laughs> I think that's... It would be amazing if that was, was possible i mean i would be afraid if i did things differently i wouldn't end here so maybe i wouldn't want to give myself any advice because i would not be here but a few things i think that that i did I mean in, in hindsight is always great like like i would do differently is so number one there is no we always feel from early on, maybe especially in in, in, in Germany or school in general, you always feel you are in a race, and you now you you have to have certain marks to progress into the next year. You you then um, you know you are already like in Germany, we are a year older than others when we finish um, uh, school, so you are already a year behind. It's um, we used to have. I used to have to go to military, so it's not a year you lose. So you then say, okay, I have to catch up. I have to study now. I have to, I have to, have to. And and I think it would be great and something I really want to uh, like like teach my daughters that there is no race, there is no competition. You have all the time in the world. And I think it is so much more important that you find yourself as a person and that you find something that you're really passionate about very early than... Having a certain degree at a certain time, or having a first job at a certain time, that that is uh, something I would love to tell myself. Take it easy. Um, I would have loved to do a year um, out, doing doing just um, yeah, spending more time to 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 find my my strengths and and, and my passion um, very early. So that's something I would do. Second is really. What we don't learn at school and what we often really learn either within the family or the hard way is how to deal with uh, money and building wealth. And yeah, that's that's just something. Time and compound interest is very powerful. So I would definitely tell myself, um, uh, the eighteen-year-old version of myself, put a hundred bucks, two hundred, three, four, five hundred. Whatever um um percentage of your of your pay aside, don't touch it, just don't touch it, just let it there because you need that money when you're when you are um thirty five forty um to do again and reinvest it and and that's so powerful and and maybe the one of the most powerful things to really teach your your kids to understand the value of uh, compound interest and uh and um and saving money. To invest that, and um, I really grew up with saving money is boring, and it um, takes a long time. You get a little interest, but the whole really understanding how money works, um, doing that earlier, I I think uh, would have a significant impact in in uh, in my in my life. Um, and then the the last bit um, is that don't really. Yeah, don't listen to to other people and don't try to please other people. Um, But for this, you need to find yourself. Um, So find yourself. Don't listen to other people, and don't try to live someone else's dream and try to. um, I was lucky. My parents never really pushed me into something um, that they said we have to do that. But I know a lot that now, whether where you just now uh, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a, a lawyer, you're going to do finance um, uh, you need to have a job and 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 that um, and I think that's just something that uh, is uh, is not good and um, yeah mm-hmm. and the last one I want to add on this is mm-hmm. like don't um, I had very early a lot of relationships and I had, they always mm-hmm. thought like this is this idea to have a, a, a partner very early on and until I really met, met Met Sabrina. I I I had very different levels of relationship. And I think sometimes when you're young, uh and I grew up in a very small village, very different times, very different, very Catholic. Um that that was very important to have uh sort of have someone with you and uh, and I think um be be yourself, be independent and um you've got time. No matter if you're if you're a girl or a boy, there is no 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 time clock really um in your in your twenties and, and uh in thirties. So focus on yourself.
1: Yeah, that's some excellent, excellent uh, bits of advice there. So, going back to, to Made Comfy, what does the next five to ten years look like in terms of vision, direction, goals? Obviously, the market sort of changed a lot, as we were touching on earlier, and it's a bit uncertain, but at a high level strategically, what sort of uh, what, what's the longer-term vision for Made Comfy?
0: So, one part that has the impact of COVID-19 on, on Made Comfy sort of accelerated our whole our whole um, previously we were fully focused on property owners because that was the bottleneck and it really accelerated our, our move towards towards focusing on the guest side. So in, in 10 years is really far away in, in, in the next couple of years um, made comfy will establish um, uh, ourselves in, in Australia as the like, Shorter rental company of choice a, a brand where you understand if you book a short-term rental um if you need a flexible uh, space you go on made comfy and you and you and you book it and you know what you get you love it it's great and and um yeah and you recommend it to your friends that's where we want to be in in the next two 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 three years in 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 five years um, i'd love to see made comfy to to expand into into Southeast Asia, into other territories, be fully digital, um, keyless, contactless check-in. Um, the properties know you when you check in, and being able to really combine the strengths of short-term rentals of of um, privacy, your private space, um, self-contained, but the adding uh, the smart component that no matter in what country you check in, we we know your preferences, we know what you want in the fridge we know we know um, um uh, what we recommend for you so so it's it's gonna be like like you live in that place and uh and that's 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 where like i i see matt country in in five years time and and from there um we see how how much of the globe we can we can uh we can approach and um, if we ever join uh, with anyone else um, in some other continents uh, to to add more value and uh and to to have more more power to yeah, yeah to push uh, the shorter mental uh, side of it because at the end um, um we are sort of disrupting this whole accommodation space and uh, and disruption uh, is nothing you do overnight and uh, yeah it, it takes a bit of time
1: yeah, and your early, like I said, the early investors you spoke to were worried that there weren't enough barriers to entry. Maybe it was hard to sort of create a unique proposition. Did you find yeah. a lot of sort of copycat companies coming and going? Has it been a, a sort of a, a struggle, or has, has there not been as many people going into that sector as maybe um, other in, early investors who turned it down and sort of anticipated?
0: Yeah. So the, the 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 key part there is, so there is Airbnb management. Mm-hmm. No. Um, which anyone can do. You can open up uh, a website, you copy our website, and then you're also now one of those um, leading Sydney's Airbnb manager um, mm. or, or whatever. So you can do that, and then you physically do all the check-ins, guest communication, and uh, you get some third-party systems. And you can definitely do that for 50 properties, um, um, and then then there's a bit of a bit of a moment where you really can't grow. What we do. Like and this is sort of what early investors didn't didn't or investors early people we pitched to didn't see and understand is the opportunity we have to build a guest faced brand that that consolidates short term rentals so that consolidates um, uh, fifty hundred thousands of short term rental managers at some point that. Are all working towards a standard that property owners and guests understand and value, and that makes them to rebook you. That is what we are building, and that is something where we have like very very little competition, and we will have very little competition for for quite some time. If of course we continue to uh, evolve um, mm-hmm. and, and and so on, and yeah, so that's the the bit on on surface. When you look at our web our website, when you read Airbnb management, which is a sales funnel still for property owners. Yeah, you can uh, you can copy that bit, but but uh, at the end, what we do on the scale of, um, um, of 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 our operations, the ability to manage thousands of properties, that's that's what you can't copy and it's very difficult to do because of the complexity of that You're having property management. Uh, the operational part of, of guest management um, and um, at the end, the financial transactions that that um, having like 50 tenants instead of one tenant a year um, that comes with that. So combining all of that in a implicit product is, is difficult.
1: Yeah. So in the same way, someone who travels a lot might go to the same hotel brand because that consistency of experience and loyalty and, um the way they know them, that's what you're providing, that consistency for the occupant who's coming in and they're getting a consistent brand experience, but with the um, you know, not staying in a hotel room, but but having the amenities and having those that more flexibility and like you said, longer stay options.
0: hundred percent. And that's the 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 core value of us is you you know you know that the quality of properties we have is is newly renovated in great locations, you know it's contactless check-in, you know you can contact us 24-7, there's always someone there that will help you if there's any issue. And of course as a property said, there's always something that can go wrong right? Like mm. you, you, something just stops working and um, you need it fixed, you lock yourself out and things like that. Um, you know that um, your, your, your pillows are going to be great, um, you know the couch is going to be comfortable, you know that there's coffee uh, for your first coffee in the morning and you know, it's insured and you're safe and, and no matter um, um, where you um, a book, a made come you always have that guaranteed. And yeah, and that's, and that's, that's the difference to booking um, any Airbnb, for example, mm-hmm. where you definitely have a lot of the trust on the financial side, but you don't know the quality you have. And, and that can be ups and downs. Um, and in hotels, of course, it's a very different experience. You've got a room and um, next to another room and, uh, you kind of open the window, and uh, you do your PowerPoint uh, on the bed. That's uh, yeah, and that's that's how we differentiate there. Yeah,
1: no, excellent. And do you have any final uh, thoughts, words, comments you'd like to leave the audience with?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, like really, when, when if you are at this kind of point where, where especially during these days, you. You you don't know now what to do. Um, you you're frustrated with your job. You lost your job. Um, don't don't get really focused on the things you can't change. Um, there are so many things we can't change. Focus on the things that you can change. Um, set yourself any kind of goal, any kind of target. Um, make sure it's really really like something you you feel excited about. Um don't worry if it sounds uh, too difficult and just give it a go and continue doing it um um and yeah take the time to definitely read and listen to audiobooks um there's so much you can learn about uh, about um about your goal about um use sort of move um out there it's all there you just need to take the time um and um and do it and uh yeah um, the past always looks better than the future sometimes when, when, when you think it's really dark. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, as well. Fantastic words to finish. Thanks so much, Kieran. Thank you. It was uh, great to have um, to be here. and Thank you so much for the invite, Derek. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email Derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.